name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. It's been a week of tragedy and heartbreak. Any time there's senseless violence, whether it's because of an ideology or a religion or a race or some combination thereof, it's natural to have a lot of questions. Most of us probably have a lot of questions, especially since Wednesday's violence in Charleston. We we wonder how could someone do that? How can someone sit in a Bible study, be welcomed in for an hour, and then open fire? We might wonder why, if God created us in different colors, why God didn't also build in a kind of tolerance and recognition so that we would regard one another as brothers and sisters of one creator. And speaking of God, where exactly was God? Where was God in that church as faithful lovers of God came together? Why did God let them perish? That's a good and obvious question. It's a question we just heard in the gospel. The disciples are there in a boat with Jesus and a storm comes up and they say to him, Lord, do you not care that we are perishing? But in that case, it seems obvious Jesus did care. He he woke up and he did a miracle. The wind calmed, the sea settled, and Jesus cared. God cared. And in that situation, the miracle saved the day and restored faith, at least for the afternoon, if we know the disciples. Well, the Old Testament character, Job, must have had similar questions. God, do you not care that I'm perishing? If you recall the story of Job, you remember that he lost everything. Job loses family and work and possessions, and finally his own health begins to suffer. His so-called friends are anything but. They give advice that perhaps they mean to be helpful, but it's just talk, 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 and more talk. I think of the woman I heard about recently on the radio who is a survivor of cancer, And she got so tired of the stupid things people would say to her and the bad greeting cards she would receive that she began a greeting card business herself. They're filled with honest expressions. One, if I remember correctly, says on the cover, when life gives you lemonade and you open it and it says, I promise not to tell you about my relative who died of lemonade poisoning. Honesty. Job's friends suggest maybe Job brought all this on himself. They say, look in your heart more deeply, Job. Maybe it's something you did. Surely, clearly, you've offended God. Today we call this blaming the victim. It's as old as Job's friends but it's as recent as the commentators and politicians of our day. We know what it sounds like 
she shouldn't have been walking alone late at night. The church should have had better security. He shouldn't have been so outspoken. What I love about Job, what I love about his story being a part of sacred scripture, is that Job doesn't buy all that, not for a minute. He doesn't believe this moralistic, simplistic talk of his so-called friends. Instead, Job goes right to the source. Job goes to God. Job talks to God. Job prays to God. Job argues with God. In our first scripture reading today, we, we hear a little bit of God's response to Job. It's beautiful. It's poetic. But the spoken words of God are not all that satisfying, are they? God doesn't answer the question. It's as though Job asks, why is there evil in the world? And God responds, creation is. Then Job asks another question. Why is there evil in the world and why is it happening to me? Again, God doesn't say so much as God draws closer. God responds by showing up and being with. It's like some of the more important conversations we may have or may remember where the content of what's said is not really all that important. What's crucial is proximity, the being with, the being there, the being present. God is present with Job in storms and in good weather, in sickness or in health, in life and in death and in life again. What Job's friends might have been trying to do and didn't do very successfully, perhaps is what Paul is trying to do with the Corinthians in our second reading. The church in Corinth had all sorts of problems. It was squabbling with itself. It was squabbling with Paul. And so Paul cautions them not to lose hope. Remember all we've been through, Paul says. Remember all that faith has brought us through. And then more specifically, more importantly, Paul says, as we work together with Christ, don't accept the grace of God in vain. Another translation says, don't squander the marvelous life God has given us. Here I think Paul is hitting on something that was not only a problem for first century Christians, it's an enormous problem for 21st century Christianity. Grace has come to us. We've received grace, uh, perhaps at our baptism, perhaps before, maybe after, on occasions, But then we forget. We get distracted. We're overcome by the the storms of life to the point that all we see or feel is rising water and flashes of lightning and the sound of thunder. And so we say to ourselves, surely God has calmed that storm back then. Of course God was with me that time I narrowly escaped the car accident. Of course God was with me on the other side of the successful surgery But what about this? What about this thing I have staring me in the face? What about tomorrow? 
when we accept the grace of God in vain. We may still think of ourselves as Christian, but it just doesn't mean much to us. We forget the power of Christ. And and that's what grace is. Grace is a power. Grace is not some soft, wispy glow that comes over us when we're good or when God thinks we're special. Grace is power. Grace is the power of right over wrong. Grace is the power of love in the face of hatred. Grace is the power of life over death. Grace is the presence of Christ. When we take that in vain, we've lost our voice, we've lost our power, we've lost ourselves. The news this week told about a young man named Joseph Meek, who was a friend of the killer Dylan Roof. Mr. Meek remembers when Roof yelled a racial slur out the window of a car. He noticed as Roof began to spin out of control, but he says he didn't really take him seriously. After Roof bought himself a gun, Meek got concerned, and so he took the gun for a while, and then he gave it back because he was afraid it would jeopardize his own parole. After the shooting, Meek said to a reporter, I do feel a little guilty because I could have let someone know. A little? You are guilty. You are entirely guilty. We are a little guilty. Whenever we let a comment slide without addressing it, we are more than a little guilty whenever we allow people or systems or institutions or laws to go without comment. We are guilty when we laugh at the racial slur or pass along the homophobic joke or fail to do as those signs say to us all the time, say something when we see something. Our context is unusual. Many of us can be fooled into thinking we live in liberal Northwest Washington. Even here, notice what happens. More times than not, if you're in a room of mostly white folks and there's a person of color, someone will assume the person of color is an employee. Watch for that. Even here, there are jokes, there are innuendo about those who are outside. All along, we keep silence about the privileges so many of us enjoy and take for granted on the inside. How often do we keep silent because we don't want to appear whiny or too politically correct? We don't want to be that person that always raises the difficult issue. We do it to keep things moving smoothly at work or to get along with the neighbor or to keep peace at the holiday table. Many of us may live here currently, but we are from other places. We talk to those folks, we visit them. Do we speak the truth? We cannot squander, hide, or take in vain God's tremendous and powerful grace because it's not our grace anyway. It's God's grace. It's God's intention that all God's children would benefit from Christ's grace and love and liberation from sin and evil. 
That doesn't happen if we're timid, if we're overly polite, if we're nice, or if we're cautious in the name of minding our own business. We must not take God's grace in vain. As children of the living God, we have died to sin in the sacrament of baptism, and we have been raised to new life in Christ. We have been sealed by the Holy Spirit and marked as Christ's own forever. That means something. That means everything. Last week's rampage was a white kid against blacks. It could have just as easily been someone coming into this church when we hold a same-sex wedding. It could have just as easily been someone coming into this church some years ago when this church stepped out and had a mixed-race wedding. It could just as easily be someone coming into our cathedral when we consecrate a female bishop. On and on and on and on it can go. All week I've been thinking about the famous quotation of the German pastor Martin Niemöller. Some of you know that. He was a Protestant pastor who spoke out against Adolf Hitler, less famous than Dietrich Bonhoeffer perhaps. But Niemöller went to a concentration camp and spent seven years there. Out of the camp, Niemöller didn't retire or didn't keep quiet. He was one of the first to articulate complicity with the Holocaust and the need for repentance. His famous words said, first they came for the socialists, and I did not speak out because I was not a socialist. Then they came for the trade unionists, and I did not speak out because I was not a trade unionist. Then they came for the Jews, and I said nothing because I was not a Jew. Then they came for me, and there was no one left to speak for me. To take God's grace in vain is to be silent or complicit whenever there is racism or sexism or anything that belittles a child of God. To live out of the full grace of God is to stand up, to speak out, to name injustice and to lead with love, like St. Paul said, with hearts that are open wide. To live out of grace and show that sort of loving grace to the world is exactly and unbelievably what the people of Emmanuel AME Church continue to do. Did you read what their families said on Friday in court? Families of the victims. Ms. Alana Simmons, granddaughter of one of the men who was shot and killed, said this to the killer. She said, although my grandfather and the other victims died at the hands of hate, this is proof. Everyone's plea for your soul is proof they lived in love and their legacies will live in love, so hate won't win. There's the answer to that question, that question that came out of the gospel, that question that comes out of Job, that question that comes out of our own lives. God does not let us perish. The love of God surrounds us. The presence of Christ moves us forward. And the fire of the Holy Spirit helps us go with God's energy of love and healing. The storms of life will come. They 
may even make us feel like we're singled out and persecuted like Job. But God's grace is never in vain. God's grace enables us to love with hearts wide open. God's grace enables us to love and love and love. And still love even more. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.